Hey friends, it's Mark James and it has been three weeks since my last confession. <laughs> I'm back, baby. I'm back, bitches. What's up, mother flippers? I'm going to be honest and just tell you, I could not be less prepared for this podcast. I've come in from running. I've been outside in Great Yarmouth, which is in the Norfolk area of the United Kingdom. And I've been running and I just got back. I'm on stage tonight at nine o'clock. It's currently quarter past six. So I need to leave for the show at eight o'clock because it's 25 minutes away. If I get there at 8.35, I've got plenty time to get on stage for nine o'clock. 35 minutes is plenty long for me. Uh, no bother at all. So I basically give myself an hour and 10 to 15 minutes to get this podcast recorded. But I knew that if I put it off or waited or did anything that would get in the way, if I got to the situation where I didn't have enough time to finish, I wouldn't end up starting. And if I didn't record it today, who knows if I'd do it tomorrow. And if I didn't do it tomorrow, well, I mean, all bets are off, aren't they? So, so I wanted to get it done. I wanted to make sure that I just got it knocked out. So I've walked in. I've literally put the phone down. I've pressed record and I've said, hello, hello, hello. Then I've stopped press play, check that it works and that the sound is okay, deleted that, started again, here we are, one minute and 24 seconds later, we're still in recording, so that's what's been going on, that's where I'm up to, that's where I'm at, <laughs> that's what I'm doing, this morning I woke up on the couch in the caravan, and the caravan is nice, to be fair, they've given me a nice caravan, and it's got like a big L-shaped couch and a television, which to be fair, I haven't yet turned on. I didn't turn it on last night because I just watched the Channel 4 sitcom Peep Show on my MacBook. It's funny, actually, Peep Show has become like a... Ooh, the rain is starting. Rain in a caravan is fantastic. Um, Peep Show has become like a sort of new little companion. Years ago, when I used to do ships quite a bit... And I still do a few now, and I'm doing two the rest of this year, it turns out. But um, I used to take the DVDs of Only Fools and Horses, the BBC sitcom from the 80s and 90s in the UK. I used to take the DVDs of that, and there was like 12 DVDs altogether that contained all of the seasons and all of the specials. And I would take all of them with me and I would put DVD one into my MacBook back when you could buy a MacBook that had a DVD player in the side. And I, and I purposefully bought an old MacBook the second time round because I didn't want to lose the DVD player. It annoys me a little bit that there's no DVD player in there anymore. Although having said that, you almost never want to put a DVD on on your MacBook. So I suppose it makes sense. But I don't know if that's the chicken or the egg. Is that the, heart, the cart coming before the horse? Would I watch more Blu-rays or DVDs on my MacBook if there was still a DVD player? Or have I altered my habits to suit my options? I really don't know. But back on the ships, I would spend a lot of time in the cabin across the week. I'd probably spend 75% of my time in the cabin because I'm a bit of a hermit, a bit of a loner, a bit of a sad twat. <laughs> and so I would sit in the cabin a lot. And I'd put DVD one in on the first day. The very first thing when I arrived at the ship would literally be put the DVD in, press play, let the first episode play. And 
every single time I left the cabin, I would just hit the space bar and it would pause the program wherever I was up to. And I'd go and do some stuff out and about, maybe go into the local town that we're in, maybe go in the hot tub, maybe go to the gym. I mean, who am I kidding? I never used to go to the gym back then. Maybe go to the buffet. That sounds more likely. (laughs) Just any of those things. And the second I'd be back in the cabin, the first thing through the door is that I would walk over, hit the space bar, and the program would just be playing. And I wouldn't necessarily be actively watching every second of it, but it would just be on. And it was like being in the room with a kind of a a well-known friend, a good companion, someone who you know and trust, and you know they're not going to let you down, and they'll they'll be interesting enough, but they won't necessarily monopolise your every thought. And um, it was great. And now Peep Show on Netflix, right this very minute, is that. There's other stuff that's that as well. The Inbetweeners, I can watch from start to finish every episode. Um, Derry Girls, I can watch every episode from start to finish you know, whole season. Uh, the James A. Caster four-part special, comedy special on Netflix. I can watch that in a row every single episode. There's a few things that I really like like that. And um, I just cycle them round and round, basically. And they're kind of just on whenever I'm in a place by myself. And of course, if not for the television, then I've got loads of podcasts too, or different books. If I'm going for audiobooks, I listen to... Anthony Bourdain has got Kitchen Confidential and um, Medium Raw, two fantastic books about the food industry and about his time as a chef and all that sort of stuff and travel. And I listen to those fairly frequently. Steve Martin's book, Born Standing Up, I'd kill for Steve Martin to write a follow-up to that. I really would. But I love that so much and I listen to all of that uh, loads of times. I read it first. I bought that and I read it in a day. I always remember my old flat that I lived in before I was even going out with Sarah. So that dates things. It must have been at least 16 years ago because Sarah and I have been together for 15 years. So it must be at least 16 years ago. I remember a parcel coming, unless I was living there, but I was st- just started seeing Sarah. I can't remember. But I lived in a shitty bedsit flat. Like literally it was so small, I could put stuff into the oven without getting out of bed. <laughs> which was ironic because I almost never cooked. I did go through a period where I would often make stir fry. I would get home from work. I worked in a magic shop and I would make stir fry with turkey, uh, turkey steaks I used to like uh, with a, a sauce and just, you know, some stir fry ingredients. And I would drink Foster's Rattler, bottles of Foster's Rattler. It's kind of almost a shandy, but a... a lager and lime kind of thing it's very light it wasn't you could drink 20 of them and you wouldn't be drunk it was very light uh, almost zero alcohol but I really liked it and I would drink a couple of those and I would make my stir fry and it was just good times um but I always remember the morning that the package delivery came and it wasn't even was it Amazon but before Amazon was what it was now or was it something else some website anyway was selling the book I'd heard it was coming out I got it like the day that it was released it got delivered to the flat I remember going upstairs in the flat my flat was upstairs I didn't have two floors I literally had one room that was everything the bed the couch the kitchen the sink and then out in the corridor was a toilet that w- with a shower but it was only mine I didn't share it with anyone but it wasn't in the flat it was out of the door and then the next door on the left um, but nobody else used it except me 
And I remember going up to my bed and opening the book and seeing it was a Steve Martin book and starting to read it and literally not stopping until five or six hours later when I'd finished reading it. I just literally, um, what's the word that people use now? Binged it. I binged the book. And since I binged that book, I've probably listened to it as an audio book 30 times maybe in the last 15 years, probably twice a year sounds about right. Maybe every six months I'll listen to it. So that's a great book for me as well that I can listen to a lot. It's called Born Standing Up. And if you are a wannabe magician, comedian, performer, or, you know, you're in the position that I'm in, which is that you've been a wannabe for quite a long time, (laughs) then you'll find it very encouraging. I tend to listen to it at the start of a, a new season or on a flight or something like that, you know. So it's great. I also like the um, the Secret Barrister books where a, a person who's an actual barrister has written these books, but they have a secret identity and they're all about different cases in the law. It's very good and very interesting. I can listen to them more than once. Uh, there's a couple of books about, uh, well, all sorts of stuff. Really. I used to be really into like serial killer books and stuff as well. They don't really have a huge amount of, I mean, I don't fancy listening to the 12-hour audio book of BTK again or the Columbine Killers or anything like that. But I did listen to them once, but I've kind of been through all of the well-known serial killers and mass murders. I did that thing, Ted Bundy and uh, Dennis Nilsson and all of them. So they're not really re-listenable, but I have listened to them all. The, um, what's it called? The uh, Golden State Killer, that was my favourite. His stuff was just insane. Obviously, the crimes are horrific, but the thing that was interesting about him was how he sort of went back and put stuff from one crime scene at another crime scene and almost linked the cases together on behalf of the police. It's very strange. I'm also drinking Pepsi Max with mango in it right now. Hmm. I have to make that noise that time to let you know I'm still here because it's so fizzy I couldn't swallow it very quickly. So anyway... I've been coming into the caravan and just pressing play on Peep Show the second that I'm in. And that's been keeping me company. But today I came in, I pressed record and I got straight on with it. So I woke up this morning. That's how we started. And I was on the couch. And as I said, the couch is sort of L-shaped. And last night I was watching Peep Show in the... um, in the caravan. I'd just eaten two microwavable Italian meals. A king prawn Alfredo and a tomato and mozzarella pasta. And there was a bit of a disaster there because I bought them from Marks and Spencer's Food, a garage that's uh, near Great Yarmouth that I go to a lot whenever I'm down here. And I was going to get a pizza or something for the night time so that I didn't go and get takeaway or binge or eat something really, really bad. So I, I went to get a pasta or a pizza And then the pastas were quite small and they're kind of like a pasta that you would have with something else. You know, maybe you would have a garlic bread and some chips or maybe you would have just something on the side or, you know, it's they're not really a meal in and of themselves. They're quite small. So they are two for six pound. So I thought I'll get two different ones and I did. And then I'm at the checkout holding them and some drinks. And the drinks are so cold. The refrigerators in that Marks and Spencer's are ruthlessly cold. So I'm having to shuffle my shopping around a little bit because my hands are getting cold. And I realised that one of the pastas, which is in a plastic tray with a clear film tear-offable top inside 
of a third of its width box wrap around that shows you what it is inside packaging. You know what I mean, right? I realize one of the pastors is about to slip. So I try to save it. And rather than managing to save that pasta, I drop the other pasta that I've also got. And two pastas make the way to the floor in what, to me, feels like slow motion. <laughs> now, I'm not the only person in the vicinity. In front of me is a woman who is not at work, but clearly works for Marks and Spencers in that garage because she's wearing black trainers, black jeans, uh, a black Marks and Spencers top, and then a black Marks and Spencers with green sleeved um, zippy thing that they wear. And she's talking to the woman behind the counter who's serving the man who's in front of her. So there's three of us in the queue. One of us is being served. That's the guy. Then the woman, then me and the woman serving. And the two pastors continue to make their way down to the floor. And before I can say a thing, they make impact. They hit the ground and they both explode upwards and forwards showering the legs of the woman who is standing in front of me in the queue. <laughs> I mean, a trainers, which thankfully are entirely black, are covered in tomato sauce, cheese and king prawns. <laughs> Her jeans are covered in tomato sauce and cheese, but no king prawns. They were too heavy to make it that far up a leg. And the little space between the bottom of her jeans and the top of her trainers, where a slightly tattooed ankle is on display, is completely covered in both tomato ketchup, cheese, and the very corner of a king prawn, which is about to fall inside of her shoe. <laughs> so I apologise profusely, and she says, don't worry about it, I'll clean it up. So she goes into the back room and as she's gone to go to the back room, I've bent down and I'm now scooping up pasta, um, bow ties, the long one. What's that called? Strands of pasta when it's just like thin, you know, when it's like little strong tubes before you cook it. Um, long and thin things like hair, but not hair. Do you know what I mean? Whatever that pasta's called. They've all got different names, haven't they? I'm scooping that up, king prawns, cheese, tomato, everything in my bare hands and back into the cartons. And I take them over and I ask her if she's got a bin and she says yes and we throw them away. And the woman behind the thing's like, do you want to go and get two more? And I said, I will, but I honestly, I'll pay for the two that I broke. I mean, honestly, it's my fault. I dropped them. She said, don't worry about it at all. It's fine. Then I said to the woman who I've splashed with uh, tomato and all that, because she's got uh, Marks and Spencer's pizza. And I said, can I pay for that? for you just to say sorry and she said honestly no it's fine and then I'm looking around for some way that I can make amends and also cover for how mortifyingly embarrassed I am but there is no way to make amends so I just pay for my stuff get in the car and then as I drive off can't work out whether I want to laugh or cry <laughs> but I knew it would be funny and I knew I was going to tell you about it today so last night, I've eaten those pastas in the uh, living room and I've sat on the couch and I've watched Peep Show. And a moment has arrived in my brain when I've thought, I am dropping off here. I am absolutely 100% starting to fall asleep. And in this moment, I have two options. I can either continue to let myself fall asleep on this couch and undoubtedly wake up 
in my clothes and on the couch at some point in the middle of the night. Or I can do the sensible thing, stand up, take off these clothes and go and get in the bed where I'll undoubtedly sleep a lot better. What did I do? You all know already. I fell asleep on the couch. Then when I woke up on the couch, my phone had gone into standby mode, which had simultaneously pushed the MacBook into no longer being online because I was tethering. And the internet, of course, had gone off and that meant that the TV program I was watching had stopped. So I was greeted with a, you know, unexpected error on the Netflix screen. So I stood up and I went into the bedroom and rather than taking off my clothes and getting into the bed, for some reason, I grabbed the duvet and walked back into the living room. And then I took my clothes off in the living room and got back on the couch and got the blanket over me. And then I realised immediately that the couch was not really deep enough, not wide enough to sleep on. Maybe if I took the back cushions off, it would be. But the back cushions are taking up a good, I'd say, third of the sittable cushion. And so not really comfortable enough to sleep on. But I was so tired that my decision making ability had gone out the window. So I woke up this morning on the couch at 9.01 underneath the blanket. And, you know, it wasn't a bad sleep. And then I basically lolled around in the caravan. I linked the TV thing again and the Netflix thing. I watched a bit of Peep Show. I sent a million emails. I'm trying to drum up a bit of work, you know. I've been looking in my diary for sort of October, November, December. I mean, October is pretty good. It's a fairly full month. I have got a few all right things in. I'm just looking at the totals now. Uh, hold on one sec, because I just need to work this out now. Okay, good. I've worked it out. I just needed to quickly count up some cash of how much I actually was left to make before the end of the year. I was having a bit of a panic, but um, I didn't want to say it out loud. So I had to go <laughs> while I added up totals in my head. So anyway, I was looking at it and I'm thinking there's just not, I need more stuff to come in. There's not enough gigs really that I've got in this diary to fund the lifestyle that I wish to lead. So I just need some more gigs to come in. So I first thought there's a local theatre to me and they always do these little midweek gigs that are like daytimes across Christmas. And I used to host a bunch of them and they were always for like old dears that would come in on a bus and you know it would literally and when I say old dears I don't actually just mean women I mean just probably retirement homes of people who you know love a bit of variety and they would turn up and they would see maybe a young kid who was getting a bit of experience or um people dressed you know like the sort of um 1940s clothes singing in harmony you know in like special uh, air force outfits you know that thing i can't think what they're called they're always called like the pocket bells or the sweethearts or something like that and it'll be three or four women singing in harmony with air force outfits on something like that and then maybe somebody like me a magician comedian juggler and i would usually take the hosting role, role as well or the guy who ran the place would host and i would do a spot he mixed it up a lot. There wasn't a huge amount of money in him. They were literally like 50 or 60 or 75 quid or something like that. But you had to get, it's 20 minutes from my house. You had to be there at one o'clock in the afternoon and you were on the way back at like quarter past two in the afternoon. It was literally a 45 minute show 
and I was on in the middle and as soon, there was no bows at the end. So if I got there at one, I did my little setup and everything and checked everything was all right. I went on stage at about quarter to two. And then when I came off stage, the show still had 15 minutes to go, but they didn't do bows or anything at the end. So you could just go home. So I'd literally come off throw my stuff in the case. And remember, I'm only doing a 10, 12 minute spot. So most of my act came out of my pockets and a small doctor's bag that I would carry on stage with me. Sometimes I used to have my act in a ukulele case and I would carry, I would literally walk on to the microphone with a stool and a ukulele case and I'd put the stool down, put the ukulele case on it and then do my act straight down the mic. It was fantastic. And like I said, there weren't a lot of money, but there was usually quite a lot of them. So you could do two or three of them in a week. It was really good, you know, just filled a few afternoons. So I thought I'll text him and see if there's any of them going, because that'll be a quick way to drum up. You know, say books me for five or six or seven of them. That's a quick way to drum up 500 quid. That'll do. And it'll give me an opportunity to work this new 12 minutes. That's part of my new show with an old fashioned microphone, which I'll come back to in a sec. But um, the message delivered or rather, sorry, the message sent, but immediately I got the little um, eye in a red circle, you know, that says it hasn't delivered. And I thought, that's weird. So I thought, I'll check if he's got a new email address or a new phone number or something, and I'll Google his name and, uh, you know, the name of the theatre. And I did. And the first article that came up was, uh, you know, theater mourns the loss of um, artistic director. And it turned out the poor guy's dead. I mean, he was 80 years old, but he was like, you'd think he was 50. You know, he had tons of energy. He was absolutely bounding around everywhere. But it turned out that uh, he had some sort of short illness compounded by COVID. And unfortunately, it's no longer with us. So, mm. Unfortunately, for the theatre, they have lost a real powerhouse of a guy. I mean, he was basically a very successful businessman who loved performing. And then once he'd retired from his business and had enough money to just live, you know, until whenever, he sunk all of his time into the theatre. And as I understand it, he basically functioned as about as close to a volunteer as you could get. But I think he maybe paid himself for hosting duties and stuff, but nothing over the odds. I mean, the guy did not need the money and he loved the place. And um, yeah, he's gone, which is a real shame because he was a lovely man. I loved working with him and um, I loved doing that gig as well. So, you know, it's a bigger shame for the theatre and his family and friends than it is for me. But it is also a shame for me because <laughs> that was a good gig and I really enjoyed it. But never mind. So there's a spare of thought for him. His name was Mike. He was a top fella. He'll be sorely missed. I liked him a lot. I hadn't spoken to him for a couple of years. I was supposed to do some when COVID came along and that kind of cancelled that. And then I never spoke to him since. And I just thought, oh, I'll get in touch. But anyway, back on track. So I'm looking at my diary and I'm thinking, right, October is pretty slammed. I mean, there's always the odd space, but really I've got next week basically off, which was on purpose to really take time to work on new stuff and get it ready so that I can do new stuff in October and find out if it's any good ready for next season. So you need time to just really knuckle down, do rehearsal and make sure you can actually try this new material. So I'm off next week, but once that week finishes, October is slammed. I haven't got enough space in the diary. Then November, 
There's a few days at the start of November, but then we fly to America, obviously, and I'm doing Chicago Magic Lounge for a whole weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, possibly lecturing in Chicago as well on Sunday afternoon. And then we fly over to LA on Monday and we're having a vacation with our friends, with my friend Taylor. And then Friday, Saturday, I'm doing Illusion Magic Lounge in um, Santa Monica. And then Sunday, we fly back to the UK and we land early Monday morning. And then I've got a few days off. So again, three days off that I don't really need. Then I'm doing a gig at Penwortham Arts Centre, which there's absolutely no way to tell if that will make any money because it's a ticketed thing with a door split. Then I've got three more days off, which I absolutely do not need. And then I'm doing a gig for Warners, which will be great. And then I've got basically... The rest of the month off, well, all of December, I haven't booked anything in December at all, apart from a cruise and a Warner's gig at the very end of the month. So I could do with booking some stuff. Now, I've been offered a cruise in the middle of December, but I'll be honest, it's a week and it's in Barbados. And I don't really want to do it because, as you know, as well as anybody else by now, I don't really love cruises, but I especially don't like them if I can't take Sarah and Joshua. I find that to be a tr tremendous pain. If I take them, I don't make any money. If I don't take them, I, I don't make that much money, but at least I make some money, but I'm bored out of my mind. But I can't really see any way that I can not take that cruise because otherwise I'm really struggling for stuff. Then I've got a gig in Singapore for a week. And then we get back and I've got a gig at Warner's and then I've got a week off and then I've got a lecture. And again, lectures just, they just don't really pay any money, you know. And then I'm basically off until we go to Nashville and I've got to pay flights and everything for Nashville. So I just need to find some more stuff. I could probably do with finding, if I could find 10 or 12 more gigs, that would change everything really. So if you know of where 10 or 12 gigs are floating about that I can do between now and the end of the year, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> if you know where 20 gigs are floating around that I can do between now and the end of the year, that'd be even better. I could probably do the work of 10 or 12 gigs if I just stopped spending money like a maniac. My problem is I can't stop spending. Actually, if I stopped spending, I wouldn't need those gigs. There'd be plenty of money. But, you know, you have to just know yourself, don't you? What I could ideally do with doing is getting those 12 gigs and stop spending money. And we might manage to sail all the way through to the end. <laughs> so, God, that's been that. But anyway, so I went to work on that this morning and I started trying to find ways to drum up a bit of money, sending a few emails, putting out a few feelers, just letting people know that I was going to be available and that, you know, if they had some work, I could do with a bit of it. So that's a thought. Um, and then, oh, what happened then? Oh, yeah, then I decided I needed a run, but my friend Stephen Williams called and I ended up talking to him for ages. And then when he went, I finally went and ran. I drove to the front in Yarmouth and then I took up a good run. I walked five kilometres. Turns out that basically one end of the promenade in Great Yarmouth to the exact other end, as far as it's possible to walk, is 3.1 miles. Probably if you went the total entire, every single available step, it would be 3.3 miles. But I didn't. I parked the car where I could park. And I walked until 3.11 miles, which is 5k. And then I turned around and I ran back. And I ran it in just short of 32 minutes, which is not bad, really. I was pleased with that. I mean, if I can do that two times in a row on Sunday for the 10k, I'm doing the Edinburgh 10k on Sunday. 
if I can do that twice in a row, I'd be really happy. You know, if I can finish the 10K in under an hour and five minutes, that would be spectacular. If I do it in under an hour and 10 minutes, I'll be all right with that as well. I wouldn't mind. If I can do an hour and 10 minutes or less, I think I'd be pleased because it would mean that I could do the half marathon in under two and a half hours. But hopefully with a bit more training, I'll do the half marathon in two hours, 15 minutes or less, which is three and a bit weeks away. So I'm gearing up towards it. I just still can't stop eating. I'll be honest, I've been a bit lost recently. I wouldn't go as far as to say that I've been depressed. But when I read about depression, I realise that I have a lot of the hallmarks of it, like struggling to be motivated and, you know, disaster planning and sometimes seeing the worst in every situation and putting off positive experiences and all sorts of little things. I do think I have the hallmarks of it, but I also think that maybe I'm I'm so practical that I don't allow myself to slip into the idea that if I that that I do have it, you know, it's strange. So maybe I have a bit of it. Maybe I've got pre-depression and what I need to do now is really bounce back. I need to just get on it, get on with it and start working hard again. Because I see pictures of myself from a year ago doing gigs at a much better weight and feeling healthier. And I think, God, if I could look like that, but have the form and ideas that I've got right now, I'd be doing so well. I feel like things would be great. <laughs> and it's all there, you know, it's all out in front of you. You just need to reach out and actually get it, reach out and actually get hold of it. So fingers crossed, things are going to pick up a little bit. And I think that they are. And um, yeah, I don't know. I really need to look at this last five weeks of the season. Is it five weeks? I mean, there's one, two, three, four. Yeah, there's five weeks left of actually working at the end of this one. I've got one week off, obviously. I really need to look at that time and I need to maximize my money-making opportunities. I need to sell merch. I need to cut down my expenses. I need to find some extra shows. I basically just need to do everything that I can to get as much money as possible into the bank and keep it there. So that's my goal now as we come towards the end. Uh, that rain is slamming down again. Here we are at half an hour of this podcast, by the way, and I haven't even opened the notes yet. And God, there are things to tell you about. So I'm going to have a good swig of this drink and let's get into the second half an hour of this thing. Is that rain picking up on the recording? I don't know if it is or not. By the way, I, I well recommend Pepsi Max with mango. It is nice. I don't typically like stuff that's flavoured with mango. Even though I do like mango. Weird, eh? So, we're going to have to skip back a little bit to my friend Stephen Williams. This has happened about a month ago, but I never mentioned it on the last podcast. He works uh, with and for the television preventer, uh, presenter. I said television preventer then. What would a television preventer be? Um, he works with the television presenter and personality Stephen Mulhern. And he has been doing his tech, writing material for him, making screens, doing social media posts, accompanying, to him, uh, accompanying him to events, basically just being the all-around go-to guy that can cover all bases and do most jobs. He does creative, he does tech stuff, he just does everything, my friend Stephen. 
And he works for Stephen Mulhern in that capacity. And they work great together. And he tells me all the time, I tell him funny stories. And then he tells them to Stephen Mulhern. And then I hear back what Mulhern thought about them. And it makes me laugh that he thinks my life is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that pasta thing that happened and all sorts of other stuff that I couldn't possibly repeat on this podcast. But anyway, or maybe I could. I mean, I, I don't usually hold back, do I, from saying stuff on here? Well, he came to my gig and watched my show and thankfully he loved it. And then I took him back to Brighton and dropped him off. And Stephen Mulhern found out and he was furious because he had a night off as well and he wanted to come to the show. And it made me laugh to think of what it would be like if I turned up to a show with my friend and television presenter Stephen Mulhern in the car to watch my show at a Haven Holiday Park. <laughs> and yet, that's exactly what could have happened had we known. So I'm sure it will happen again in future, but it's a funny thought to dwell on while it's, while it's up in the air. Um, Stephen Mulhern very kindly actually sent me a video for my mother because my mum's a big fan of his. She watches him on TV and stuff on different game shows and things like that. And he made a happy birthday announcement for her, which was very nice. But um, yeah, so I got to hang out with him. And then last time I was down here in Great Yarmouth, I picked up a bunch of those American drinks. You know, I was telling you about the difference between um, Mexican Coca-Cola and glass bottle Coca-Cola in the UK. Well, I found a wholesaler in Great Yarmouth that sells it. They're called candymail.co.uk and they'll post it to you. But it's a little bit frustrating when they post it to you because there's a limit to how much you can buy. They'll only sell you six bottles at a time because they wrap it up so firmly in bubble wrap and all that sort of stuff that it's an absolute nightmare. You can only buy six. So I arranged with him a deal to pick up a load of it and go and get it physically in real life. And I went and I ended up with um, 30 bottles of Haritos and 24 bottles of Coca-Cola. And it was like a hundred and odd pound, but he did me 25% off or something like that, which was very kind of him. So I brought all these bottles home and Sarah was like, they're not going to last. And I said, I'm just going to drink one a day. I'll just drink one bottle a day. And if I do that, they'll last at least six weeks. Anyway, two and a half weeks later, it was all gone. I was thinking about getting some more while I was down here, but I really am going to commit to the idea of trying not to spend a lot of money. You can actually, you can find that in everything, can't you? In every little, in every little gap, there is a way to spend money and to not spend money. And I've done it today, like I've been out and I've bought stuff. And yesterday I bought that M&S stuff. I probably spent 40 or 50 pound in two days since leaving the house. And actually what I should do is not have done any of that. And I should have fasted a little bit and I should have brought snacks or food with me that I could cook and eat to save money. But I didn't do it. So you know what I'm going to suggest to Sarah? Babe, I know you're listening to this. Hey, baby. That's my wife out there, by the way. She's listening to this and she's rolling her eyes now because she's going, yeah, you're currently having a revelation that I've described to you and told you about 85 times this week. And now you're working it out for yourself as if you've just realized, even though I've been telling you, yes, babe, that is exactly what is happening. Sorry. What we should do is no spend October. We did no spend in November before and we did no spend January. And basically, you're, aside from the big shop, 
you're just not allowed to spend any money on anything ever. You try not to spend any money out of the house on drinks, snacks or anything like that. Everything has to come from the big shop and within the house. And you know what? I save a fortune because if you think while I'm out, I will frequently spend £20 a day without really even thinking about it or working out where it's going. And that can add up to, you know... I just realised how much money that is. It's easily over an extra £500 a month, assuming I don't go out every single day and gig and stuff. But, you know, if you do, it's £620 a month, isn't it? £20 a day. So, in a 31-day month, for those of you that are mathematically inclined. So, we should do No Spend October. Let's start it. Let's start No Spend October. In fact, let's start it early next week when I'm off, starting on... Monday, we're doing loads of decorating in the house, by the way. So instead of, apart from decorating stuff that we've already said we'll commit to, apart from that, let's start. No spend, end of September, beginning of October, and not buy anything or waste any money all the way up until we go to America. Let's lock down and be super, super good. That can be our plan. You should all join us as well. You just decide, you pick a single month, and you decide not to spend any money in that month at all. We try to do it in other months too. We try to do it in November and December, apart from Christmas gifts, obviously. Sarah and I usually say we're not going to do Christmas gifts, but I always weaken and end up buying Sarah and Joshua loads of stupid stuff that nobody needs. Obviously, Joshua needs some great Christmas gifts because he's a child. This year, we're either going to get him a MacBook, which will probably be on finance, so that'll help, or... A bicycle. Haven't quite worked out which one yet. I have been looking at bikes and I think that'd be pretty good for him to be able to pop out and go and visit his friends after school more easily. And um, maybe we should all get bikes. I don't know. But anyway, so no spender November was our original one, but we're going to do no spender September into October. That's the plan. What do you think, babe? When you hear this part of the podcast, text me the words. I know you're listening right now, Sarah James. Take your phone out of your pocket while you're walking to work on Thursday. And I oh know you're not walking to work today because Joshua's off school and you're off too. Um, whatever you're doing, take your phone out and text me. No spend of September into October. And that means you've agreed that we're going to do it. So I picked up the air uh, drinks. I uh, saw my friend Stephen Williams. I have been working on new material. And the work on new material is going really well. If anything, I've got way too many ideas. The show, roughly at the minute, the set list is about an hour and a half long, if not longer. And I still keep thinking of new stuff. And I've been working on loads of new stuff because I want this to be my best show ever. And I already know that the show is going to be called Wonders. Mark James presents Wonders. And it's going to be a three-act show. The, the whole show is one part, you know, 45, 50 minutes. But it will be three separate acts. A bit like when I did Curious Mysteries and Vanishing Elephant and all that sort of stuff. Because that format, firstly, really works. Secondly, it allows you to do three sort of openers if you want to in the show. It allows you opportunity to briefly go off stage, which means you can ditch loads of stuff you no longer need out of your pockets and put loads of stuff in your pockets that you now do need while a quick voiceover plays. And I think it gives format to a show so that you can have different sections that maybe are slightly aesthetically different to each other and are also um, thematically different to each other as well. So the first section of the show is called The History of Mystery. 
And in that in that section, I will talk about where magic comes from, how it works, and why it works. That's the idea. Then section two is types of wonder. These are not official names. History of mystery is, but types of wonder isn't one. And it's going to be an exploration of wonder in every flavor and format. So, you know, I'll talk about anatomical wonders, natural wonders, childhood wonder, learned wonder, invented wonder, um, things like that. And they've all got tricks or pieces that attach to them. And then act three, the big finish, and, you know, that'll be two bigger tricks that are meant to send the show up over the edge. Boom, it's done. Thank you, good night, yada, yada, yada. So every section at the minute needs three or four things in it. And currently, the first section's got six things in it. The middle section's got eight things in it. And the last section's got four things in it. So I'm oversubscribed by quite a lot of tricks. <laughs> but it'll work itself out. I'll narrow some things down. And partly that'll be out of um, finance, maybe. I won't necessarily, you know, be able to fund some of the ideas and they'll be a bit out of reach. Maybe it'll be down to creative reasons. I won't be able to quite nail the thing that's good about an idea. That's happened before loads of times. Billiard balls that I do in the act, billiard ball manipulation. It honestly took me five years to go from deciding I wanted to do that to actually getting it in the show because creatively, I just couldn't solve the problems. I couldn't quite get to the point where I'd worked it all out. Technically, the skill of it, I'd done that and I was where I wanted to be, but I just couldn't work out what made the idea work. And finally, I sort of got it. You know, I just finally got it. And then it all came together, but after five years. And the same is true with other tricks. I've got things that I want to do now. I really want to do shadows, uh, you know, shadow puppetry, shadow, shadowography. And I'm having lessons on that from a guy who is a famous shadow teacher, was well, a famous shadow performer. He came second in Spain's Got Talent, and he's an international cabaret performer, and all he does is shadows, and he's amazing, and I'm getting lessons from him, I'm paying for lessons for him, but maybe I won't be able to quite nail it, and it won't be as good as it is in my head, and that'll mean that I can't do it, and that'll mean that I'll have to wait a year and keep working on it, and then eventually get it in the show a year later, or two years later, or whatever, Sometimes with ideas, you've got to play the long game. Maybe you can't afford to do them. Maybe you've not got the creative ability to quite finish the idea that you wanted to do. Or maybe you don't have the technical skill to do it. Or sometimes it doesn't fit the theme. Or sometimes the practicality of the idea is that you've already got tricks that take up loads of setup. Like at the minute, I've got one trick in the show where, and it's in a small section called Lunch with a Magician, where I basically say to the audience, it's like an interval trick and I say um we're gonna have a short interval now so before we do we'll break for <laughs> we'll break for lunch and uh something like this and people often say when they find out you're a magician oh I bet it's fun to go out for dinner with you or lunch with you well let's find out and then some music starts and I sit down and I basically have lunch with the audience and I do tricks that involve things that you would eat or drink and one of them is with a coca-cola bottle and I take the it's a glass Coca-Cola bottle and I take the cap off the Coca-Cola bottle with a bottle opener and then pour the drink out into a glass and then I tap the uh, cap on the bottom of the bottle a couple of times and then it penetrates up into the bottle and you shake the bottle around and the cap is clearly inside and then you take it back out again after an audience member has examined it and then you tip the bottle upside down and you rest the cap on the top of the bottle and then as you wave your hand over it, it just drops back inside the bottle. It looks 
amazing. I've been practicing it all week. I've actually posted a video of it the first two or three attempts that I made. I posted it on Instagram just to show the basic effect because I thought it was cool. And um, that is like a minute to a minute and a half of the show. But the setup for that trick involves taking multiple things and doing pre-show setup every single show to make that trick work and loads of other little factors to basically get the trick going and sometimes that pisses you off sometimes you've got like i think if you've got a show that's got 10 tricks in it only 50 percent of those tricks can really require a difficult setup for me personally, the other 50% basically need to be ready to go out of the box. The good thing about billiard ball manipulation is that all of the setup for the routine basically happens during the show. The props in to achieve the routine are inside of a small, sort of almost Tupperware box with a lid on. And during the show, I take the lid off the box and I get the props out and I'm ready to perform. Same with, you know, what else? Same with loads of things, actually. There are other tricks where basically the thing comes out of the box and you're ready to perform it immediately. And then you put the stuff away at the end of the trick and it's already put away and reset for the next show. And if you're being practical and you do a lot of shows, four or five nights a week like I do, and sometimes multiple shows a night, you really, really don't want to have a show where more than half of it requires a long setup. So sometimes you've got great ideas but you don't put them in this show because you've already got other great ideas that require a big setup and this idea does too. So that's another reason you might discount something and not end up doing it. Basically, there are loads of reasons to do stuff and there are loads of reasons to not do stuff and putting together a brand new show is basically a balancing act of those two opposing ideas. You need to work out what is going to be good, what is viable for you creatively, financially, technically, and then what is viable logically and practically in the actual circumstance of carrying out the show, arriving at the venue, setting up, doing the actual stuff. The rain is really coming down now. It's pretty crazy. It's going to peep out the window. It's absolutely torrential. I love rain in a caravan. If it rains like this tonight, when it's time to go to bed, I'll be thrilled. I'll sleep like a baby. God, I love the rain before a show. So yeah, those, those are some of the thoughts that I've been having. And I'm, um, I'm working hard on the show. And I'm going to start doing some of the ideas through October. At a few gigs that I know are safe, where I know the gig's going to be good. I know the audience will be good. I know the manager well. Out of the October gigs that I've got, 25 gigs or something, probably... 10, 12 of those gigs are perfect circumstances to give a bit of new stuff a try. So that's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to do that work next week during September, uh, the end of September, to get ready for it. So anyway, I went running, I told you, and I'm preparing for a half marathon. But that's in three weeks on Sunday. So I decided to throw in another run in between. So Saturday, I'm driving up to my friend Elliot's. He's doing it with me. And we're going to go to this place called Siverino's in Edinburgh that I absolutely love for pizza, stock up on a bit of carbohydrate, and then Sunday morning, get up early and run this 10K together. I, I, do, I know I mentioned it already, but I didn't know if I told you the exact when it's happening. So that's that. Um, what else has happened? Oh, I did the stage door again. 
the stage door is that local place in Longridge and they had me back for another show. I've actually just been messaging them about putting another show in at some point in November or December because it's always fun to perform there and uh, it's always a great crowd and I really just love the shows there. Such a nice atmosphere, perfectly sized room, great people who run it, just everything about it is rock solid so I love performing there. And I did a gig there the other month, the other week, yeah, the other week and um, it was fantastic, lovely crowd again and I brought back the human blockhead. For the first time in years, I started hammering a nail up my nose again. I haven't done it in so, so long. And yet, when I used to do it, it brought the house down and it was always such a strong bit of material. And then I dropped it because it started to get uncomfortable. And then I tried it again for this gig to see if it was any good. And I'll be honest, I didn't think it was going to play. I thought that because of COVID... We've all had swabs and stuff stuck up our noses, haven't we? We've all had little cotton things jammed up our schnozzles and then put into little clear plastic test tubes to check whether or not we've got COVID at the doctors. That I thought people wouldn't be frightened anymore by the idea of the blockhead. And it turns out they still are. And not only are they, but the woman that I got up to pull the nail out of my nose during the show was actually a nurse. And even she was freaked out by it, which really sold it to the audience. So I was thrilled. I mean, gosh, it could not have been any better because I haven't done that bit of material in ages. Didn't know if it was going to go well. Then it did go well. It didn't really make me uncomfortable. It still does a bit. It's not like it used to be. Maybe as I'm getting older, something inside of my head has changed. But um, it was still great and no bother. And the audience ate it up. And I feel like I've gained a new bit of material. But actually, it's an old bit of material back from the dead. And so I'm going to work on that a bit more. And I'm thinking about putting that in the new show, which actually reminds me. I need to um, just add something here. Hold on. The Great Indian Rope Mystery, because that's a bit of travel magic. Indian... Sorry, I'm just typing. Sarah, by the way, when she types, doesn't use... This has blown my mind every time I see it. You know, to type a capital letter, you just put one finger on the shift key while you press the letter and it automatically makes it a capital. Sarah never, ever, ever does that. She presses the caps lock button, then she presses the letter that she wants, then she takes the caps lock button off. It blows my mind. But then again, she also types with two fingers. <laughs> it's adorable. I love it. Makes me laugh. She doesn't have to do a lot of typing. Typing's a weird one, isn't it? Because when I learned to really type, I used to use the computer all the time, my home computer. And I used to type on Messenger and all that sort of stuff. And Sarah never did that because she's that tiny bit older than me that it wasn't really a thing. She was already out of the house and in clubs when I was at home at like 13. She was 18 and she was clubbing and I was on Messenger typing to girls that I fancied them. And so she missed out on that whole bit. And then she's never really played computer games where you had to use the keyboard. And I used to play Deus Ex and Half-Life Deus Ex not day of sex or anything that might have sounded like deus d-e-u-s space e-x deus x and you used to play those games using the keyboard so i built a real uh formality with the keyboard and got used to it and i wonder now how good people are at typing because most people type with two thumbs don't they on their ipads and on their uh, iphones most people type stuff using their two thumbs whereas i learned proper typing with both of my hands using every finger like i'm a really really fast typist but i learned how to do it properly 
But most people now, they type predominantly with two thumbs. And because Sarah was just of that age where she didn't really ever need a keyboard as much as, you know, I did, she never learned like to type like that either. So she's fast at typing still, but she just uses two fingers. It's weird to me. And I wonder if a lot more people will learn to type with just two fingers on keyboards because they learn to type with two thumbs on iPhones or other phones. Whenever somebody, whenever I text someone a message, by the way, and it comes up green and I know they haven't got an iPhone, I do get suspicious about that person. <laughs> it does make me uncomfortable when someone I'm friends with has an Android phone. Have you got an Android phone? If you have, you're a dirty little freak and you need to just get an iPhone like the rest of us. Just be normal and get an iPhone. <laughs> mm. Oh, gosh. Add another little drink there. So the big bits of news that I suppose I'll finish the pod with while we're uh, six, seven minutes off the end is that Joshua has now started secondary school. He is officially a secondary school child. We went out, we got all of his uniform. It cost a fortune. We got his PE uniform, same. Special bags, shoes, all of the things, really. The school put some fairly interesting uh, things on the equipment you've got to buy. I don't know why they don't just have school PE shoes, you know, plain black plimsolls or something, because they tell you that you've got to have black trainers, but they must be completely plain black with no writing on them or... Like, they can have writing on, but the writing has to be black. We got Joshua Under Armour trainers that are completely plain black, and they're meant for running. I think they're meant for indoor track running, but they're pretty plain. They just look like normal trainers, but they're Under Armour. Um, but it was hard to find plain black trainers that weren't plimsolls or something like that, because plimsolls are going to hurt your feet in PA, aren't they? They're not comfortable, so you wanted proper trainers, but it was hard to find some that didn't have any sort of other colours on. I don't know why the school don't just have their own brand and sell them to kids. That would be easier. Or sell them in the uniform shops or something. Then you've got to have plain black school shoes as well. And obviously, school shoes are sort of horrible, aren't they? Because when you're a fully grown adult and you wear suit trousers, the dress shoes that you wear are usually quite different to the kind of shoes that children at school are expected to wear. I realise this will be quite alien to some of you who are listening outside of the United Kingdom, where children in other countries are not actually required to wear uniform at all. But Joshua basically has to go to school in a suit. He's wearing dress trousers, a dress pants, a jacket, a sports coat, a um, tie and a shirt, a buttoned-up shirt. So... The shoes are usually like called kickers or something like that that they wear. They're a very specific brand of shoe that you only ever really see school children wear. And I don't know why that's the shoe. Why don't they wear an Oxford or a Brogue <laughs> in black like a fully grown adult would? I mean, I wouldn't dream of wearing a suit with the shoes that Joshua is wearing for school. But I also wouldn't dream of sending him to school in black brogues or Oxfords either. It's just really strange. I don't know why the school shoe is like that. But a school child in nicer black shoes would look insane, I suppose. That's strange, isn't it? But it's just how it is. But anyway, he started. He's made some pals. I think I told you before that his pals 
sound like dorks, which is ideal. And um, I just want him to stay out of trouble and have a nice time. Still talks to a couple of kids that he went to primary school with that don't go to his school. There's a couple of girls that went to the all-girls school. And oddly, he stayed in touch with them and talked to them on the phone while he's playing uh, Fortnite and stuff like that. And I said, did he have a bit of a crush on them? And he said, no. And he was like, Daddy, <laughs> I'm 11. The idea of having a girlfriend is disgusting. I wish you would stop bringing it up. It's just pointless. Don't mention it. And I was like, don't you think you could get a girlfriend? He was like, even if I thought I wanted to, I've just got no riz. <laughs> <laughs> Do you all know the phrase Riz? It basically means confident charm to attract, you know, a, a partner. And I said to him, you've got Riz. You just haven't unlocked it yet. You've got my Riz. I'm the Riz Master General. I'm Riz Khalifa. I'm Harry Potter and the Rizner of Azkaban. I'm, um, what were the other ones that I said? I had loads, but, um, yeah, I don't know. He's got Riz, surely. He can get some, but he's clearly not interested. He was telling me that one of his friends at school fancies a girl that he went to primary school with, and this is one of his new friends. And he was like, should I tell her? And I said, no. Unless he's asked you to tell her, then don't tell her. But he wants to join chess club, Dungeons and Dragons club. I mean, Stranger Things has got a lot to answer for. Now it is preferable to be a geek than to be one of the sporty types. The sporty types are very much not in vogue. And I'd much prefer Joshua to be a geek. I mean, I'm a geek. Sarah's a geek. We are a geeky family. And so he's got nothing to be afraid of. Be a geek, my, my dude. You will thrive that way. Geeks always turn out to be the best people. So he's at secondary school and it's partly terrifying and partly great. And every single day, my first questions are, how was your day? Who did you sit with at lunch? What did you have for lunch? Because he's got like a thing now where he just, we have to top it up uh, with cash, but he's got a card that he can pay with lunch, pay for lunch with, but it maxes out at six pound a day. But he's been only spending two pound 55 a day on it roughly. So he's way under budget, which is great. Obviously, it's nothing wrong with that. Um, but if he feels like he wants to, he could spend more. He just hasn't been. And um, I always want to know, who did you sit with? What did you talk about? Because I just want to know that he's thriving socially. You know, lessons and school and stuff. I guess that takes care of itself. But if he's thriving socially, then at least I can know that he's happy and that he's not getting picked on or having a shitty time or whatever. I would hate that. So anyway, he started, he started secondary school and that's good. And last but not least, I've been cheating on Sarah and I need to confess. Um, she knows already, of course. And it's not what you might think. <laughs> I haven't been cheating on her with a woman. I've been cheating on her with uh, a famous man in a brand. Basically, Sarah told me the other night that she was cooking for us. And on the way home, like 20 minutes before home or less, I was driving past Burger King and I went into the Burger King and I got uh, two burgers and I ate them. And then I drove the, west, the rest of the way home. And normally when men get in the house and their wives are like, why don't you get in bed? And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm just going to go and have a shower. And so I said to Sarah, I'm going to have a shower. I'm going to have a shower. And she's going, why do you want a shower? You never have a shower when you get home late. Just get into bed. Nah, I better have a shower first. And I've heard that men do that or I've seen it in films because they don't want their partner to smell another woman's perfume on them. I mean, Jeff and Curb Your Enthusiasm bought his wife the perfume that his mistress was wearing so that she would never know. But um, 
most men do it like that. I didn't want to get in bed because I knew she would smell fried onions and grilled cheese and burger. <laughs> and then I just had to confess. I said, babe, I need to tell you, if I come near, you're going to know what's happened. I've been cheating on you with Ronald McDonald. <laughs> I've been cheating on you with the Burger King. You know what? You want me to make you feel like a princess? Well, sometimes he lets me wear the crown. Where's my crown in this relationship? So before I got home, I didn't tell you, and I ate Burger King because I'm a piece of shit. How do you feel about that? <laughs> so, yeah, that's not gone well either. Oh, God, I can't stop eating because I'm depressed and I hate myself. Clearly, that's what we've learned on this podcast. Anyway, we're up to 59 minutes and 33 seconds. I think I'm going to stop and press record again just to finish off properly, because otherwise I'd have to finish this recording in the next 19 seconds. And I'm perfectly capable of doing that, but I'm not going to do that. So for you, this will continue to roll on. But for me, there's a bit of admin. So let me stop and start recording again. Oh, hello again. No time for you at all. Ten minutes for me. I bought Sarah Donald Duck cardigan. <laughs> that got advertised to me on Instagram while I had a quick look and a wee. And then, um, yeah, time ticked on. So I'm going to finish with one last thing that I'll tell you. I did a gig with my old friend Louise. Louise is a fantastic singer and guitar player from Oldham originally. She lives down south now. She did really well on Britain's Got Talent years ago. She's phenomenal and such a nice person. I've known her for years and years and years. I've known her, in fact, her son is now 18 and I've known him since he was about 11. So I've known him for a long time. And uh, we gigged together on weekends for a couple of seasons. Every Friday and Saturday, I was with Louise. Somewhere me and her were a double act. And always it was great. Like, all the venues always liked it, you know. The two of us were strong acts. And she loved going on after me because I got the room vibe right. And managers loved just having the two of us together. It was good. And so, uh, but I've not seen her in ages. And we don't really keep in touch or anything. And so she asked me out of the blue if I'd do a gig for her about four months ago and it was for her cousin's birthday in their garden now they live in Hemel Hempstead so they got plenty of money it was a really nice house and when you say it was a garden party I mean it was a very very upscale garden party you know they had like a proper bar service and you know a, a hired in bar team and everything they had food on the go they had like a marquee and stuff like that it was very nice and I was doing Close Up Magic as well as a stand-up spot. Now, I almost never do Close Up Magic, but there was only like five tables of eight people. And so it was five easy tables, not any stress at all. All I had to do was go around them all once, say hello, quick couple of tricks, let them know I was doing a stage show, and Bob's your uncle. And the stage spot was only 15 minutes, so it could not have been an easier gig. It was lovely. Except that it was 34 degrees on that day, which for the UK is very hot. I think if you're American or you're working on Fahrenheit, it's like 87 or 90 or something like that. It was pretty hot for the UK, 34 degrees. So um, it was too hot to wear my jacket. And I decided I would just wear my waistcoat, my vest with my shirt and tie. And as I went to go out into the garden dressed like that, the patio door, the, the double open door was kind of opened on a right angle to the rest of the wall, you know, an L shape the door was open at. So the two doors, you, you went down the side of the two doors as you exited the gap that the doors were previously in. 
And as I walked outside in just my vest, waistcoat, the handle for the door found its way down my armpit. And as it went into the armpit, and I never realised and continued forward in one swift motion, as I burst into the garden and said hello to everyone, the patio door went down my armpit and tore my entire waistcoat clean from my body. <laughs> like a quick change act. Literally left me standing there in just a shirt. Just tore my whole waistcoat straight off. Complete nightmare. So I had to put my jacket on and then I was sweating so much in the heat. But of course, you can't really do your act without the jacket on. You need the pockets. Uh, I was sweating so much you could see my chest hair through my shirt. Wasn't a good look, but it was a funny story. Anyway, that's this week's podcast, friends. I will see you soon. Maybe it'll be next Wednesday. I've got a week off. If I can't find time in a week off, when can I find time? I'll let you know how the decorating's going. All right, have a good week, everyone. And uh, I'll speak to you all soon. And uh, much love. Bye, friends.